Welcome to the Cornerstone Corner, our weekly message podcast. At Cornerstone, we are enthusiastic about all ages, having an authentic relationship with Jesus, others, and our community. Join us as we open the Bible and hear God's Word for us today. Well, well, good morning. Good morning. Am I on? Can you guys hear me? Good? Good, good, good. Pastor Matt decides to make a big three-service announcement and then leave the country for a couple weeks, so uh, <laughs> that's always fun for us. Um, like he said, my name's Ryan. I get to be the, uh, the associate pastor here at Cornerstone. I'm sorry, I fixed my pocket. My wife gets mad at me when my pockets are out, and she's sitting in front row, so I got to fix that. Um, but yeah, I'm Ryan. I get to be the associate pastor here, and uh, I'm just really glad that you all are here this morning. Uh, if you didn't know, last night or yesterday afternoon, we had our Trunktastic event here at the church, and uh, we had, yeah, it was, it was a really good time. Candy, there, was, there were hundreds of families and kids all throughout the neighborhood coming. Uh, we set up trunks and had live animals. We had a horse. We had a goat. Uh, my nephew said we had chickens, but I didn't see any chickens, but maybe he was imagining them. Um, they, they were there? Okay, so he went. He was, they were caged, caged, okay. Um, yeah, we had, it was just a great time. And I don't know, have you ever seen a kid who, has, who knows that they can get candy and they just completely bolt away from their parents or whoever's watching them and stuff like that and they just candy, candy, candy. They're just running every trunk over and over. They lose all sense of like uh, common courtesy and all that stuff and whatnot. And it reminded me actually yesterday as we were sitting at our trunk, uh, my wife and I had the chance uh, last weekend, we did a weekend uh, vacation down to Florida to Disney World, um, and uh, it was just the two of us. We didn't even bring our son, so uh, it's just, it's, he's too young, it's too hot, you know, that type of thing. We were celebrating. We've been together 10 years now, um, Sarah and I have, and so we were celebrating that, and uh, so, but as we were sitting there and watching kids run and just chase after candy and chase after animals and all the different things, it reminded me of this moment that we had on Saturday night when we were down there at Disney we decided that we were going to watch this fireworks show at Magic Kingdom, which is one of their parks, which is a giant, like there's a big castle, and they have a fireworks show every night, but thousands of people line up to watch this fireworks show. And uh, we, we oh, I didn't know this. She knew this because she's, she's very, very smart and wise. Uh, people line up for this fireworks show like three hours before the show starts. And it's like you, you stand on this like main strip uh, there at, at Magic Kingdom. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible picture of, of what's going on. It's crazy. It's insane. Uh, we decided we weren't going to wait for three hours. We we're going to wait. We we're going to get there about an hour beforehand to, to line up and watch. And we didn't care if we had a front row seat or a great view. We just wanted to see it because it's, it's huge. So like you ha- there's no bad Uh, So we're there about an hour before, and Disney does this every single night. And so they have people with bright orange glow sticks like they have at airports, like trafficking people around. They have sections like sectioned off, and like once it's full, they rope it off, and they just send you to the next section. It's like it's a whole system in place. And so we hopped in line. We got in the system. We we found our way, and we had a we had actually a pretty good view. We were we were kind of in the middle area on the main street uh, area. We were we were a little further back. We had a great view of the castle of all the fireworks and stuff. Um, but when we were there an hour before, like they were, they were just pushing us in. We were shoulder to shoulder with people. We were right behind a, a really nice family from Sweden, actually, uh, who they, they were really nice. They had three young kids. They had a stroller, a uh, super nice family. We were next to this large group from Oklahoma with a bunch of families. There was another couple next to us. There were people behind us. And we were all like, we're there for an hour, shoulder to shoulder. Like we're getting to know people. Um, <laughs> And so, like, as it, as it goes, we're about 15 minutes in, and you, and you start feeling, like, shoving and this type of thing, and people are trying to get, because, like, 
Some people will get really close. They'll have part of their family, part of their friend group will get there three hours before so they have a great view. But then the rest of their crew has to then just pile through the, the giant mobs of people to get back up there. And so you start feeling shoving and pushing and people are just squeezing by. And so we're kind and courteous people. And so we like move to the side, let people walk by like, oh yeah, find your family, find your friends, that type of thing. Um, and so we're about 30 minutes before the show starts and our section now has been roped off. It's full. We're shoulder to shoulder with people pressed in like the Swedish family. They like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give space for their stroller cause they have kids and whatnot, uh, but we're pretty close and, uh, we feel shoving, shoving, but people are just walking by. We get to about 15 minutes before the show's about to start. I would even argue 10, but it's probably 15. I'm just being dramatic. 15 minutes before, and we start feeling shoving coming behind us. We're like, man, another person trying to get up to their family. Like, they're cutting it close. Maybe they were in a long line or something like that. Uh, and uh, so Sarah, my wonderful, nice, courteous wife, she moves to the side so this, this woman who's probably in her 20s or 30s could, can walk by and move past the, the Swedish family in front of us and whatnot. And as Sarah moves to the side and kind of takes a step back, this woman just steps, and then she stops. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> and she pulls out her phone. So I'm like, okay, maybe, she's gonna, maybe she doesn't know where her friends are. She's going to call them, that type of thing. She pulls out her phone, and she takes a picture. I was like, okay, maybe, maybe she's just trying to show her friends where she's at. She's got to try to find it. She takes a picture. She still has her phone out, and I'm like, I'm, I'm trying not to be creepy and look at it, but I'm like, you, you can't stay. You, just, you're, you better be calling someone or trying to get out of here or something. And I look at her phone, and she's playing Candy Crush. And so then, I know, I'm no longer looking at this woman who's standing right next to me because she's where my wife was. I look back at Sarah, my wife, and she was mad. And it takes a lot. <laughs> it takes a lot to make my wife mad. It takes even more to make her, like, be confrontational. And, like, but I could see, like, she was, she was boiling up. And I talked to her after, and she's like, I was literally standing the whole time just praying, like, God, give me strength, give me strength, give me strength, give me strength. <laughs> This woman was just standing there, no, just disregarding other people's like time, space, everything. Um, and she was standing there. That long story, like I ended up, I, I, like the family behind us kind of scooted back a little bit. Like we made room. So Sarah was unable to stand in front of me. And like we were able to actually have this 10-year anniversary moment watching the fireworks and whatnot. But um, it was just crazy. I, it just made me think, like, have you ever been so engulfed in wanting to get something, and wanting to get somewhere, do something that you just disregarded common sense, common courtesy, like everything that you would normally have, just throw it to the wayside because you were so determined to get this one thing. And I was thinking about that woman, and I was thinking about the kids with the candy, like they just threw out everything that they would normally do. Um, and I knew this series was coming up, and I've been studying a little bit, and we're in a new series actually launching this week, and it's called Soundtracks. Soundtracks, and it's talking about just some of the common mindsets that people have that when played over and over and over again can actually lead to destruction, dismay, disappointment, uh, Disney World disasters. Like it's, it's, this, it's this mindset that, <laughs> that's pretty common that a lot of people have that, that can lead us to acting in ways that we don't typically act. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be studying some of the most common mindsets, some of the most common thought processes that we might have, that humans have, that lead us down a road that, that, that isn't the plan, that isn't the track that God has and so actually each week, it's, it's loosely based off of this, this book by John Acuff called Soundtracks. Uh, it's a really good book. It's helpful. Uh, we're going to be taking a much like a biblical approach. We're going to be looking at stories from the Bible uh, when we teach. So it's not completely based off of this book, but this is a good resource to have. And we're actually going to be giving one away each week. And so if you get your uh, note notes out your handouts, programs, uh, there should be a sticker on one of your programs. And if you have that sticker, you now are the new owner of this incredible book. 
Brian's got the sticker. Just give me that 20 bucks whenever you're... I'm, just, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So we are going to be talking about the soundtracks we play in our mind. And before we dump, jump into today's topic, I would love to pray, um, and then we'll hop in. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much uh, for giving us this morning uh, to come together through the cold weather and the, the rainy mist. I just pray that... Uh, whatever baggage we might have brought, brought in here today, whatever we might have that might be blocking our hearts from receiving the message that you have for each and every one of us, God, I pray that you just remove those uh, blockages so that we can receive what it is that you have for us, God. Open our eyes to see the world the way you want us to see it. Open our ears to hear what you want us to hear, God, and, and ultimately help us walk out of here today different than when we came in. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today's topic is... The thought process is, if I just had blank, my life would be amazing. If I just had more money, my life would be amazing. If I just had a better job, my life would be amazing. If I just lived near a beach, because Lake Michigan doesn't count, my life would be amazing. <laughs> if I just had a nicer house, a nicer car, if I just had kids, or better behaved kids, if I just had this thing, my life would be Amazing. And one of the, uh, the, the inspirations of this topic, the thought process, the, the parts of the scripture that we were looking at uh, is about this woman named Hannah. And we don't have slides for this because I wasn't sure if I was going to use this. Uh, and uh, two this morning, I uh, just kind of got some clarity that I should use it. And so this woman named Hannah, uh, it's in the book of First Samuel. And if you want to read through, it's the very beginning of First Samuel. We, we read about this, this woman's uh, life. If you want to read about that in your own time, I'll kind of summarize it. This woman named Hannah uh, was so... She, her thing was she wanted a kid. And the way that their culture was back then is uh, husbands had multiple wives. And actually, the other wife that was married to her husband had produced many kids. And, but the scripture said the Lord had closed her womb. And so she could not provide a kid for her husband. And it didn't matter how much her husband loved her. In fact, it said when they would go to their, their annual sacrifices and rituals and stuff like that, her husband would actually give her double the portion that he would give everyone else because he loved her so much. But she was so engulfed, and she just wanted a kid. And if she did, her life would be amazing. But it, because she couldn't, her life was awful. She wouldn't eat. She'd be weeping all the time. Her husband once said, isn't my love enough for you more than, more than 10 sons and daughters? She just wanted a kid, and then her life would be amazing. She was so engulfed and, and wrapped up in it. And I think some of us can relate, and whether it's you really want a kid or whether it's you really want something else, your life would be amazing. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in what we really want that we disregard what we have. If I just had blank, my life would be amazing. And before we dive into some of the, the fill-in-the-blanks and whatnot, I want to say there is some, some healthy value, some, some, some health into this sort of mindset. If I just had a better job so I could pay for my kid's college, my life would be amazing. So we set out goals and we set out a path so we can get a promotion, that type of thing. That's okay. If you're a student in the room, I just want to get good grades so I can get a scholarship so I can do this and that. Like you set up goals, you study. You do. That's okay. It's good. There's health to having this mindset in some way, but it's so, so easy. When we play this thought process over and over again in our head, it's so easy to get to a very unhealthy level that leads to destruction, that leads us off the path that God might have for us. So I wanted to put that out there before we dive in. And before we talk about kind of how, how do we overcome this mindset, I want to talk about three implications that this mindset actually has, whether or not we realize it. Three implications that, that thinking, if I just have blank, my life would be amazing. Three implications that that has. And the first one is, 
If I just had blank, my life would be amazing. That implies that we are lacking in some way. There's a lacking in our current state. I forgot how I put the, the fill in the blank, so I want to make sure I got that right. There's a lacking in our current state. And first and foremost, self-awareness is a good idea. Um, it's good to recognize that every single person in this room, every single person on the planet is lacking in some way. No one has everything. And so we're all lacking in some way, but with this mindset, what it actually does, it becomes so focused on what we're lacking that we miss out on what we actually have. And we miss out what, what, with what God can actually do with what we have. And there's a moment in the, in the Bible, actually, in, uh, in 2 Kings verse 4, that I think kind of encompasses exactly what this mindset actually can look like and what the right mindset actually can, can do for us. And it's 2 Kings uh, Chapter 4, verse 1. Um, if, you, if you want a paper Bible with you, uh, there's paper Bible spread throughout. If not, there'll be verses on the screen as well. Um, or you can go to sermons.church uh, and look at Cornerstone Church if you would rather do that, if you're tech savvy, unlike me. Um, but 2 Kings verse, or chapter 4, verse 1, this is what it says. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha, the prophet, replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? The woman replied, Your servant has nothing at all except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. He replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and, and he said, Go and sell the oil and pay off your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. You see, to her, she was lacking. He said, what do you have? Well, she said, I don't have a husband. He's passed away. I don't have any money, and I have debt. That's what I have. And I have this small jar of olive oil. And you see, where she was so focused on what she was lacking, Elisha and God were focused on what she had and what God could do with what she had. And with just a small, small jar of olive oil, she was able to fill jars and jars and jars, not only to pay off her debts, but then to, to basically retire off of and live off of for the rest of her and her son's life. See, she was going up, focusing on what she was lacking, and God was so focused on what she had. And I think far too often when we get in this mindset of if I just had blank, my life would be amazing, we focus on what we don't have instead of focusing on what God can do with what we do have. We say, if I just had a better job, and yet the job that we have, we have opportunities in front of us. If I just had better behaved kids, but the kids that we have are actually a gift from God. If I just had more money, if I just, if I just, we focus on what we don't have and we miss out on what God has for us in those moments. If I just had blank, my life would be amazing. It implies that there is a lacking in our current state. The second point, the second implication that this has is, uh, the second implication that this statement has is that our discontent is driving our decision-making. And I don't know about you, but fully being vulnerable here, I have been falling into this trap many times. Our discontent is driving our decision-making. 
And we heard at Kids Corner, we heard Elijah Foreman talk about the story of David and Saul. And we hear these great stories of David, like slaying Goliath. We hear these great stories of David uh, not killing Saul and letting him wait his turn until he became the king. There's a moment later in David's life, after he had already become king, where discontent drove his decision-making to lead him down a path that he really knew he shouldn't have headed down. And I'm just going to summarize a little bit because it's a few chapters, and it's in the book of 2 Samuel, if you want to read that. Yeah, 2 Samuel 11. But David here is the king of the Israelite people. He is ruling over the Israelite people. He has an army of people fighting a war for him so he can stay back in his kingdom and not have to go out and fight at this point in his life. And yet in that moment, David's thinking to himself, if I just had blank, my life would be amazing. And for him, in this moment, there's this woman who he sees across the way named Bathsheba. And he thinks to himself, if I just had that woman, my life would be amazing. Didn't matter how rich I was, didn't matter how many wars we were going to win as a, as, a, as a kingdom. Didn't matter how, how many women were actually available. He said, if I had Bathsheba, my life would be amazing. So he sends a servant out to find out more information about her. Finds out her name's Bathsheba, and he finds out that she's married. And not only that she's married, she's married to one of his soldiers, Uriah the Hittite. And but David's discontent is driving his decision-making, and so he, he throws away all, he disregards all other thought process, all common sense, just like the woman at, well, at Disney World who throws off all common sense because she is so concerned about getting that picture. David is so caught up in wanting this one thing, Bathsheba, that he throws off everything else. And his discontent is driving his decision-making, and what ends up happening is then David ends up having uh, relations with this woman, and she becomes pregnant. And David realizes, oh no, one of my soldiers is her, is her husband, and I, and I just made his wife pregnant. So he, he brings Uriah home and all in this whole story. And Uriah is such a loyal soldier that he literally will not, David the king brings him home and says, hey, go have, have a fun date night with your wife. And he says, no, my, my brothers are out in the field fighting right now. I'm going to sleep here outside the, on, on the steps of your kingdom like your servants do. He's so loyal, and David's feeling bad. And what ends up happening is David, his discontent's driving his decision-making. He finds himself down this hole, this path that he knew that God doesn't actually have for him. And so what ends up happening is, is he actually puts Uriah on the front line in the war. And so Uriah ends up dying. And it's all because David is letting his discontent drive his decision-making. I think some of us, we find ourselves in situations where we're jumping maybe from relationship to relationship to relationship because we're letting decision, uh, without, disregarding, sorry, we're jumping from relationship to relationship, disregarding our own personal growth because we're so caught up in our own discontent driving our decision making. We're jumping from job to job because without actually focusing on improving ourselves, focusing on what we can do right here, right now, because we're letting our discontent drive our decision-making. We're going and buying more and more and more things, throwing it on the credit card because we're so discontent with where we are right now that we know that piling up debt is not a good thing, but we're so f far gone in this discontent that we're letting it drive our decision-making, and we're heading down a path that we know that we shouldn't be heading down. We let discontent drive our decision-making. We always think the grass is always greener on the other side, but the reality is that the grass is greener where we water it, and we find ourselves jumping from dead grass to green grass that turns into dead grass to green grass that turns into dead grass to green grass that turns into dead grass because we're letting discontent drive our decision-making. The third implication here is this, that temporary things can lead to eternal 
fulfillment. If I just had blank, my life would be amazing. What we're saying is that temporary things can lead to filling this God-sized hole that's in our heart. We're trying to fill it with more money or more toys or more relationships or more popularity or more power. We're filling it with temporary things. And the reality is, is that temporary things are temporary. And this longing in your heart that you have is something that can only be filled with something eternal, bigger than yourself, bigger than money, bigger than a job, bigger than a relationship. We're trying to fill this eternal void in our heart with temporary things. And this reminds me actually of a moment in Jesus's life where a guy, uh, it's, in, it's in Luke chapter 19. And this guy named Zacchaeus had been living his life for a long time, chasing after temporary things. We'll pick up there real quick. I'm trying to hurry up, I promise. Chapter 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people had saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They're talking about Jesus there. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save the loss. You see, I think there are people in this room right now that are feeling this sense of discontent, that are feeling the sense of loneliness, that are feeling the sense of purposelessness. We're trying to fill these eternal voids in our heart with temporary things. But when we look at Zacchaeus, who had been living his entire life being a tax collector, being rich, being wealthy, and yet there is still some longing in his heart for something more. And the moment he met Jesus, the moment he met something eternal, something bigger than this world, his life changed forever. And he gave away everything that he had been working for for so long, and yet he had found fulfillment that he was not able to find through the things he was working for. We think that temporary things can fill this eternal longing in our hearts. And I don't know about you, but I've been down this road before. And it really quickly can lead to some very, very dark places because we don't understand why. We achieve the things we want to achieve, and yet we still feel so empty inside. We get to where we want to get to, yet we still feel so far away from where we should be. It's because we're trying to get to this, this eternal satisfaction, this, this, this heavenly, this God-sized fulfillment, and we're trying to fill it with temporary things. We're trying to fit square pegs into round holes, and it's not going to work. And what we notice is that Zacchaeus, the moment he met Jesus, the moment he experienced something bigger than everything he had been pursuing, it changed everything for him. I think there are some people in the room today that have been trying They've been trying to fill these voids with some temporary things. And you can't really figure out why that promotion didn't give you the satisfaction, didn't last as long, you just wanted the next one. That raise really was, I mean, it was good for, for about a month, but now once you're making what you're making now, you want to make what's next. That house, as great as it was, you see your buddy's house down the street and it's so much nicer. We're, we're chasing after these temporary things, trying to find eternal fulfillment, and we're just going to end up coming short every single time. Every single time. So how do we combat 
How do we combat this idea of being uh, moment-motivated, circumstance satisfaction, discontent? How do we combat that, fight against it? Well, when I look back and think back to that story we talked about at the beginning about this woman, the woman named Hannah who just wanted a son. She just wanted a kid, a child that she brought into the world. And she wouldn't eat, she wouldn't sleep, she was weeping, she was crying. Everything changed for her when she stopped looking to herself to try to find this, and she looked to God. And she went and she started praying, and she was weeping and crying out to God. And in her story, she actually, she did. She ended up getting a son named Samuel. She ended up getting what she wanted. If I just had this, my life would be amazing. But what ended up happening is when she turned her focus away from what she wanted so bad and turned it toward her creator, she found contentment in that. And yes, in her story, she got what she was looking for. But I think so often we miss that. Because what ended up happening, she got the son that she wanted so bad, but when she got him, she immediately gave him right back to God and let him be worshipful throughout his entire life. She got what she wanted, but it might not have looked the way she would have originally thought because she gave it right back to God. She gave him right back to God. And I'm not saying that if we turn our focus away from what we're lacking and focus on on God, that we're just going to get whatever we want. But what I'm saying is when we take our focus away from what we're lacking and focus on God, we might just find contentment. There's the main verse of today's text, and I know I've thrown a lot of different verses at you, but this verse in particular I think is huge, and it's written by a guy named Paul. We've talked about Paul a few times, but Paul had a crazy life story. I'd love to talk to you about it when I have more time uh, sometime. But Paul is writing a letter to this church in Philippi at this time, and he's actually in prison at the moment that he's writing this. And this is what he writes. Philippians 4.11, it says, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He said, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. Every circumstance, whether I, I mean, Paul was a rich and powerful guy, moving, and he was also imprisoned and poor. He he had some probably he probably had some feasts throughout his lifetime. I picture like big turkey legs. Paul just eating them, you know. I don't know what other food they had back then, but I don't know why I picture turkey legs. <laughs> there are also moments where Paul was hungry, and in this moment when he's writing in prison. And he's saying, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. And the secret to being content is that in every circumstance is learning to find contentment in our creator, not in our circumstances. Finding contentment in our creator, not in our circumstances. The crazy thing, oh man, I just, I almost broke that. The crazy thing about Paul writing this, in prison, the reason that Paul was in prison wasn't because he committed some crazy crime. It wasn't because he was stealing from people wasn't because he was murdering people. wasn't because he was doing anything crazy. The reason Paul was in prison is because he was trying to tell people the good news of Jesus. And he was thrown in prison for that. There was probably a moment in Paul's life, and I'm, I'm just, if, if it were me, and I was in Paul's shoes, I would be sitting in prison thinking, if I just had freedom, if I just had something, if I was just out of this prison cell, I, my life would be amazing because I'd be able to tell so many more people about Jesus. Some of us, were, myself included, if I, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, if I just had Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, my life would be amazing. <laughs> but Paul's, 
The thing that he's wanting, the thing that he's lacking is the ability to be out and telling people about Jesus. And yet he's found contentment in the fact that he's sitting in a prison cell. The reason is is because he's finding contentment in his creator, not in his circumstances. He's finding contentment in something bigger than just the things that he's doing, something eternal. I think that there are some of us in the room that today might be the perfect time for us to stop searching for contentment in our circumstances. Stop searching for fulfillment in our bank account, to stop searching for purpose in our relationship and start finding it in something eternal, something bigger than ourselves, something bigger than the people in this room, something bigger than our Instagram followers, something bigger than our paycheck, something bigger than our appearance when we look in the mirror. We need to learn to find contentment in our creator and not our circumstances. And when I look at the life of Hannah, she took her focus away from what she was lacking and focused on God. When I look at Paul and his life story and his journey, he was never looking at the circumstances he found himself in. He was just looking at his creator. Because the reality is, is right where you are, the circumstance you find yourself in is exactly where you need to be for God to utilize you. Is exactly where you need to be to get to where God wants to get to you. And you might have been running away from God for a long time. You might still be running away from God for a long time. But it is right where you need to be that right now you can make a decision. I want God, I want to look for you and not my circumstances. I want to look for you. And you are right where you need to be to make that decision. You are right where you need to be to end up where God wants to get to you. There is fulfillment. There is purpose. There is so much more in a life chasing after Jesus than there is chasing after all these things. And, and, and before you think, of well, Ryan, you're a pastor, you get, you're supposed to say that, you're supposed to do that. I tell you what, it's hard. There are so many times where I think, man, if we just, if we had no open seats here in this room on a Sunday morning in both services and all three services coming up, my life would be amazing. If we had 100 people sign up for baptism, my life would be amazing. And you don't think I ever think, if I had more money, my life would be amazing. If I had a nicer house, my nicer car, go to Disney World every other weekend. Life would be amazing. No, that, that would not be amazing. That would be something. I'm saying this from a place of I know the struggle. But I also know that there's freedom. Well, we pray that you enjoyed the message today. We pray that it was challenging and that the Spirit has stirred something new in you today. Have a blessed week.